Well, Happy New Year, everyone. And thank you, Chris, for my birthday present. He did it last year, too. We're getting predictable. But another Christmas is in the books. <laughs> Don't worry, Chris, there will be another one next year. But that means that this morning, our last Sunday of our Advent series, is a chance to look back on the wonderful truths of Christmas before we take a moment to look ahead at the year that's coming up. So imagine that it's Christmas Day and that your child just opened a present that you bought them. I know that might be hard to imagine. I don't know when you would have experienced something like that, not just six days ago, but do your best. Imagine your kid just opened a present that you bought for them. Now imagine that money is very, very tight. So you worked, you saved, you didn't buy things that you really should have just so that you could get each kid one present. So then they open the present, and it's exactly what they wanted. They scream, they jump up and down, they immediately take it out of the packaging, they start playing with it. That feeling when something that you worked so hard for brings so much joy to somebody else, that is one of the best feelings that we can have. So now imagine that it's weeks or months after Christmas, the excitement of the present has worn off. What would make you feel better if it was their favorite toy that they got out and they played with every single day? Or what if they put the toy away and never thought about it again? Or what if they put that toy under glass because they knew how hard you worked for it and how much it cost you and they didn't want to mess it up? Obviously, you want them to use the toy. You bought the toy so that they would play with it. The best way that they could thank you for all the work that you put into that toy was to play with it, to use it. And this is how God, how Paul presents Jesus' gift of salvation. It's an amazing and a precious gift, but it's not one to be appreciated from a distance. It's meant to be used every single day. Hopefully your kids realize one day that you putting yourself through so much to give that to them shows just how deeply you love them and that great cost shows them that their enjoyment and their happiness was worth even more to you than the time and money you spent on it. The gift of salvation is just like that. It cost Jesus his life, and it cost God his son. So we should use, value, and appreciate that gift so much more than if it had been a cheap and easy gift. This is our sixth and final sermon in this year's Advent series about God's gift of salvation. We started with God's eternal plan, and we talked about how God's plan for creation from the very beginning, before he created anything, was always to give people the choice of whether to follow him or whether to rebel in sin. We talked about why 
that sin is so offensive to God when we talked about the problem. We talked about the problem and why sin is so offensive and why it means that we need a Savior. Then we talked about the promise of salvation, where we heard that God powerfully revealed his plans through the prophets, showing that he was always in control. Then we have the proclamation where God announced that Jesus had been born and told us that he was the son of God that would save the world from, his, from our sins. And last week on Christmas Eve, we finally got to talk about the person, who the real Jesus was, and that the one who saved us, the son of God, took on humanity just like ours. And today we will end our Advent series by looking at the price of salvation. Christmas is a wonderful and a joyful time, but if we want to understand why it's joyful, we need to understand the terrible things that Jesus came to endure for our sake. So if you'd open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians... I'll read our passage for us, which is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. I'll read the context as well from verses 16 through to chapter 6, verse 2, but we'll be spending most of our time in uh, chapter 5, verse 21. So 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for the gift of your Son, We can never truly understand just how much that this gift cost you and how much it is worth, but we thank you nonetheless for how much you've given to us and how much you love us. In your son's name, amen. So as we consider the price of our salvation, we're going to go through uh, chapter 5, verse 21, phrase by phrase. We're going to look at it in six chunks and see what it has to tell us. I'm reading from the ESV, but pretty much all translations have these same chunks, but they might be in a different order. Um, So my hope for today 
is that you would leave here amazed by just how much Christ loves you and how hard he's worked for you. So one more time, I'll read verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we'll start with that first phrase, for our sake. Jesus came and died for our sake. He did it because we needed it. There are two ways that we could look at this. First, we could say that it's our fault that Jesus had to come and die. Because of our sins, Jesus had to come and endure a life of suffering, and he had to endure death on the cross. Now, this is certainly true. He came because we needed help because we had sinned. And we need to understand just how big of a crime our sin is if we want to understand the magnitude of the gift that God has given us. But when Paul wrote this verse to the Corinthians, I don't think he was trying to make the Corinthians feel how heavy the weight of their sins was. I don't think that he wanted them to feel deep sorrow for their sins as they read this verse. There are definitely times when we need to feel those things. But right now, Paul wants us to focus on the other aspect of for our sake. Jesus came to die for our sake because he loves us, because he wants to help us. For our sake means that you are so important and valuable to Jesus. Coming to earth wasn't something that he did because it wasn't a big deal or just because he felt like it one day. He came and endured absolutely terrible things because he loves us. He loves us and he loves his father so much that he was willing to go through anything so that he could help us. This should make us so unbelievably happy and grateful. Even though we were Jesus' enemies, he died to make sure that we could have a relationship with him again and that we could live forever with him. So after Paul reminds the Corinthians of how important they are to Jesus and how much he loves them, he gives us our second phrase of the verse. So looking back in verse 21, he says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. The second phrase we'll look at is, He, God the Father, made him Jesus. He made him. God the Father and God the Son worked together to make the gift of salvation happen. Jesus didn't do this all by himself. He wasn't trying to save us from the Father. And the Father didn't force Jesus into it. They weren't enemies in this process. They worked together. They decided that they were going to do it this way before they created anything in the world. The cross was not an accident, and it was not plan B. Our sin didn't put Jesus in a bad spot so that he did the only thing he could do to protect us. That would have been an amazing enough gift, but it's even better than that. Jesus chose to create us, even though he knew exactly how much it was going to cost him. That's how much he loves you and wants you 
to be with him. We can also see in this phrase, the father made Jesus, he made him. We can also see in this phrase, and in lots of other places in the Gospels, that Jesus obeyed God perfectly. Through every day of his earthly life and every minute on the cross, Jesus had the power to end his suffering, but he chose to obey. He denied his own desires to avoid pain because he wanted to please his father more than he wanted to avoid pain. And he did want to avoid that pain. He shows us in the Garden of Gethsemane just how desperately he wanted to not go to the cross. And even though he hated the, the thought of the cross that much, he spent every day of the last three years of his ministry continually and intentionally walking towards the cross. He loved you and he loved his father so much that he put himself through all of that. So now our third phrase tells us something about who Jesus is and why his sacrifice was an even bigger deal than it might seem at first. We're going to skip real quick the phrase that talks about Jesus on the cross and look at who he was before he went to the cross. Verse 21 says, He made him who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. Before he went to the cross, Jesus had never known sin. Now, obviously, Jesus knew what sin was, but the knowledge that Paul is talking about is a deep experiential knowledge. Jesus had experienced the effects of other people's sins, but he had never sinned himself. And so he had never felt the deep and terrible consequences of sin in his own soul. Sin is many things, but one of the things that sin is, is corruption. Sin is corruption, and it changes and warps every part of us in a deep way that we'll never understand until we get to heaven. Every single sin changes us and hurts us. It makes us into something that God never created us to be. Since we are corrupted by sin, we do bad things, but that corruption even ruins the good things that we try to do. But Jesus had never experienced this corruption. Sin's corruption also causes us to feel shame. We feel shame because we think of ourselves as good people, yet we hurt others. We're selfish, we're prideful, we're broken, and we're ashamed to see ourselves for who we really are. So we hide that disgusting truth of sin's corruption. We hide it from ourselves and we hide it from others. But Jesus had never experienced shame like this either. That's who Jesus was before the cross. He was a person who had never experienced corruption or shame before. And what happened to him? The next phrase of our verse tells us. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus was not just made sinful. He was made to be sin. He was made to be sin itself. He was not just made shameful. He was made to be shame. He was not just corrupted, he was made to be corruption. Jesus is often called the Son of God, but another one of his names is the Word. 
That name, the word, means lots of things, but one of them is that he is the clearest expression of who God is. Jesus is the clearest expression of who God is, but in this moment, Jesus became the purest expression of what sin is. He went from the most beautiful and wonderful thing in the world to the most disgusting and terrifying. Jesus had never experienced the way that sin hurts and corrupts us, but now he felt more of it than any of us ever have. I don't know about you, but I have absolutely no idea what it would feel like to suddenly be in so much pain. To have everything good in myself be changed and ruined. I don't know what it would feel like to look at myself and not even be able to recognize myself anymore. This is what Christmas was leading to. Jesus was born as the promised Davidic king that would save Israel and the entire world. The angels, the shepherds, the wise men, and Mary and Joseph, they all celebrated his birth and they were right to celebrate it. But the cross meant that Jesus would have to endure unimaginable suffering. And that truth of the cross is inseparable from the joy of Christmas. If he wasn't coming to the cross, he wouldn't have come to a manger in the first place. Our primary emotion when we come to celebrate Christmas should be joy and gratitude. But if we don't understand just how much Jesus went through for our sake, our gratitude will fall far, far short of what he deserves. If we want to celebrate and rejoice and feel as much joy as we can, there must also be some moments of sorrow and solemn gratitude. This week I saw a story about a woman from Texas named Melissa Harvey. One spring night, their house suddenly caught fire. Melissa grabbed her six-year-old child and escaped. But once she was outside, she realized that her two older children, 111 and 113, were still trapped inside. She left her youngest child and went back in the house, pushing through the heat and through the choking smoke, and brought her other two children to safety. Their house burned to the ground and took everything with it, except for Melissa and her children. She braved the pain of the smoke and the flames, risking her life, but why? Because there was something that was more important to her than the pain that she knew that she would go through. In that same way, 2 Corinthians tells us, that Jesus went through all of this suffering so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're going to save those two little words in him for last. So for right now, we're going to think about the phrase, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus went through with the plan of Christmas being born as a human and dying on the cross because he wanted us to become the righteousness of God. 
Jesus saw that we were slaves to sin and to death, and even though he had never experienced these things himself, his heart broke for us. He wanted to help us. And he wanted to please his Father. Those two things, his love for his Father and his love for us, those are the things that motivated him to pay the steep price for our salvation. That's how strong the love of Christ is, and that's how much he loves you. There's a lot of debate over the precise meaning of the righteousness of God, but it's pretty obvious what it means in broad strokes. This entire portion of 2 Corinthians is about reconciliation between God and man. Two enemies becoming friends again. We were separated from God because of our own sin and corruption. But since Jesus became sin and took the punishment that we deserved, we were purified. If you have accepted Jesus' gift and chosen to follow him, then when God looks at you, he no longer sees the corruption of your sin. Instead, he sees the righteousness of his own son. And that leads us to our final phrase in this verse, in him. One last time, all of verse 21 reads like this. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The only way our sin can be removed is through Christ. We can't do it ourselves. We can't even do it with God's help. We can't do anything about it at all. Only by admitting that we're helpless and by trusting in God alone can we be saved. But this is how the sorrow of Christmas wraps all the way back around to joy again. Jesus did it. The cross was painful and horrible, but it was not a tragedy to be grieved and it was not a defeat to be mourned. It was a victory to be celebrated. The love and mercy of God is so huge and so unending that it can make the gruesomeness of the cross into the most joyful story ever told. The story of the cross. As it starts at Jesus' joyful birth, goes through his joyful victory on the cross, and it ends when we make it home to him in heaven forever. The fact that the price was so high for Jesus only shows us how much he loves us and how he's more worthy of our love and admiration than anyone else has ever been. We could never have designed this system ourselves, we wouldn't have made it so messy. We also would have made it so that we could fix it ourselves. We like to contribute things and we like to take action. We don't like being humble and helpless. It would also just make sense that the person who made the mess should clean up the mess. But we could never have cleaned ourselves up. So God shows how much he loves us by paying such a high price to clean up the mess that we made. Isn't the story of Jesus a better story 
than we ever could have written. And receiving the gift of salvation is so much better than anything we could have tried to accomplish for ourselves. God isn't just good and loving. He is brilliant. Isn't he so much bigger and better than anything else we could have dreamed up for ourselves? So now that we've had an entire Christmas season to remember and rejoice over how great God is. What do we do with what we've learned? And how do we express that joy and gratitude? Paul tells us at the end of our passage, starting in the second half of verse 20 and continuing on till, uh, till 6-2, Paul says, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And skipping to verse 6-1. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. In quoting that verse from Isaiah 49, Paul tells the Corinthian church that the things that are harming their relationship with Christ. They have already been saved and reconciled to God, but they didn't choose to use this gift to grow and to have a good relationship with Christ. Instead, they've chosen to do the opposite of reconciling with Christ. They chose to hurt their relationship again and again by sinning. Paul tells them that they need to stop listening to false teachers who distort the gospel. He tells them that they need to be humble rather than fighting for status. And he tells them that they need to stop living immoral lives. These are all things that we as individuals and as a church still struggle with. But I think that when we're thinking about how we want to live our lives as we step into 2024 it can be more helpful to look at broad categories rather than such specific sins. So how do we become reconciled to God and how do we put the grace of God to good use? First, for the non-Christian here with us, the answer is simple. You can't be reconciled to God until you've accepted Jesus' gift in the first place. Paul begs you, and I'm begging you. No matter how many or how few times you've heard the gospel before, make this the day that you accept the gift that he paid such a high price for. And for the Christians, there are three things that I'd like to draw your attention to, and they all start with R because Paul didn't alliterate every phrase of his verse, and I couldn't do it with my main points. So our three points for a Christian today are repent, or sorry, rejoice, repent, and reorient. Rejoice, repent, and reorient. First, rejoice. Rejoicing is a crucial part of reconciliation. We rejoice because reconciliation itself is a wonderful gift, and we rejoice because rejoicing draws us even closer to Jesus. Think about your kid, like we talked about at the beginning of the service. 
Think about that single perfect gift that you gave them after they rejoice and play with that gift and they thank you for it. Do you feel closer to them or farther away? How do they feel about you? You don't have to be embarrassed to rejoice or tell yourself that you can't rejoice because you caused the problem in the first place. Rejoicing is an excellent way to use God's gift of grace. Second, repent. Once you have accepted Jesus' gift, there's nothing that anyone can do. There's nothing that anyone can do to take you out of the righteousness of God. But even though Jesus healed our relationship with God and reconciled us to him, we can damage that relationship again with our sin. When that happens, we need to repent of our sin and be reconciled again. This is just like any relationship we have with anyone. If you hurt them or if they hurt you, then you need to be reconciled and heal the relationship before you can continue growing together. A small and infrequent hurt is still real and serious, but it will probably be fairly easy to heal. But big hurts that you do again and again make big injuries that take a lot of work to heal. The first step to healing any wound is to stop making it worse. But God knows that we can't change overnight and that we can't change it all without his help. Repentance begins with prayer. Ask God to change your heart to make your heart more like Jesus's. Ask him to show you what he wants you to change through prayer and through reading scripture and through listening to scripture. He will help you to repent. Third and finally, reorient. Unrepentant sin is the biggest killer of our relationship with God, but living on autopilot will waste that gift just as well. Again, this is just like any relationship. A marriage is meant to be a wonderful, fulfilling, life-giving relationship, but it needs to be cultivated. Sin and betrayal, sin and betrayal will kill a marriage. But a marriage that survives but doesn't have any joy, that doesn't help you grow and doesn't help you fulfill God's purposes for your lives, that isn't much better. In 2024, intentionally orient your lives so that your priorities, what you choose to do and what not to do with your time, reorient your priorities so that those choices are as close to the choices that Jesus would make. Of course, we won't do this perfectly. Doing this perfectly is not our goal. Our goal is to do a little bit better this year than we did last year. That is how we are reconciled to God and how we can make good use of the precious gift that God has given us. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for the gift of your 